Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Pastor Mai, it's Sarah Hendy here with you until six o'clock this evening with more creative news from around the Isle of Man. Today we'll be speaking to Mira Royal and Brooke Wassell, plus we get introduced to the Wurlitzer in the Villa Marina Arcade by the lovely Richard Cole. If you miss anything today, you can download this programme as a podcast on the Manx Radio website and of course you can listen on demand for up to a week. I also post all of the details of all of our features of uh, each programme on the Spotlight blog which you can also find at manxradio.com. We begin the programme at the recent Culture Vanin film screening event which happened at the Peel Centenary Centre a few weeks ago and they kindly invited me to interview harpist Mira Royal and filmmaker Brooke Wassell. The catch was it was in front of a live audience, something I haven't really done before. Mira and Brooke worked together to produce a stunning film with the most glorious soundtrack by Mira charting the journey of the River Glass from its start at North Barul all the way down to the sea at Cornet. You guys, with this project, I feel as though we've almost got a bit of a chicken and an egg situation. If somebody, you know, Culture Manning came to you and said, we want you to collaborate with like a soundtrack, some beautiful music, with like some beautiful footage. Is it a bit like waiting for the other person to start dancing? Was well, that kind of awkward sort of staggered feeling? Or how did you, how did it start off? Where did you begin? Uh, well, yeah, James just brought us both together. <clears throat> I already knew about uh, Mira's music, and I really liked it. And so when he mentioned her name, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely up for that. Um, and, yeah, we just organized to meet. And, uh, yeah, we both didn't really kind of know what we wanted to get out of it. But we kind of went away that day knowing that we wanted to base it around um, the beautiful landscapes of the island. Or at least that's kind of the way I headed with it anyway. And, yeah, but we still didn't really have a theme, so we were kind of pointed in the right direction that way. And, uh, yeah, then I just kind of cracked on and tried to get some footage together as soon as possible to show Mira, basically. And Mira, this is all the landscape that we're, that we're going to see. It's all kind of in your back garden. It's where you grew up, up north. Um, these places, do they, do they have sort of a special meaning to you? What do you feel when you think about these places or you visit them? Um, I'd say uh, I live at the bottom of North Barrow, really, so we've had sort of many, yeah, yeah, tortured walks up there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, Balagas Glen and uh, Cornet, where Brooke did some of the filming, um, I literally, I used to go to Balagas Glen every every night after school to walk the dogs, and um, we'd go to Cornet when we were little and go swimming in the rain and things. So, yeah, it was very sort of nostalgic watching books uh, film I mean I'm sneaky I've already seen this film um, and it's stunning there's a really comfortable homely feeling to it and I know, I know, you know it's the Isle of Man it is my home of course it is but there's a real warmth to your work um, tell us about the journey that you're taking us on this in this film and how that kind of dictated the timeline of of the overall project, because um, I think you're, you're following through one day 
I imagine, not that I'm any expert, but I imagine that getting your, getting your levels and your lighting and your shots right in these different locations with different lighting, different weather, must have been a somewhat technical nightmare. So yeah, basically it follows the kind of flow of uh, Cornet from the top of North Rule all the way down to the uh, end, as you'll see. But um, yeah, the idea was to kind of capture it from start to finish as like the run of a... The, its journey through a day so but time lapse itself um can take a long time to kind of capture so it would be like a handful of shots during just one day so yeah um just getting the timings and the lightings right uh, it's quite the task especially through uh, battle glass itself which is kind of overshadowed by a lot of trees so um getting things to match up quite right it's, it's a bit of a task but um yeah it was it's a fun process really you know the, the big part of it is just the adventure of going out there and capturing the shot. So I um, didn't really mind how long it took. Why is that? What is it about on those like cold early mornings up North Barul where you're wet up to your knees and uh, shivering? What makes it worthwhile for you? Um, it's well, the thing about time lapse is you don't really know what you're going to get until you see the end product, like even on the computer. So, you know, you can kind of capture a preview of it from the camera itself but uh, yeah it's just that moment of just being in that moment really especially capturing a nice little moment and then seeing it back uh, at, you know it's sped up on the computer it's just it, you see it in a different light in a different eye and it kind of just makes you wonder what else you can capture out there so um, it really captures your imagination yeah and you just you, you want to keep capturing stuff and um, I think especially with your night sky work, you're sort of, you're using your equipment and your, your methods and your tools to, to kind of uncover an invisible world that's already right under our noses. I really like that about what you do. It's, um, it's not just enhancing the natural world around us, it's taking it a step further and revealing things that we can't see with the naked eye. Um, what equipment do you use? We, we've talked about um, about your process and how you've chosen instead of film for this project to use um, the time lapse. How does that differ, and what what does it look like when you're when you're setting up? Because I think when we think of film, we think of somebody with a camera held up here, or you know, it, it's not quite that setup, is it? No, definitely not. Um, yeah, so there's enough gear already just carrying around in my like rucksack. You know, they got the camera and the lenses, and then um, for a lot of the shots themselves, I use like a motor on a on a slider that kind of the camera takes a picture, it moves and takes a picture, and it's a very long process. Especially if you're shooting stuff at night, it can take several hours. So um, yeah, it's a lot of gear to carry around, and um, as you'll see in some of the shots, um, obviously I'm very involved with. Uh, we were close to some water so a lot of the uh, setting up is you know balancing on some rocks and it's very I was very safe with it all but yeah it's it just it'll give you an idea of just how close I had to get and how tricky some shots might have been mm -hmm. yeah and is it um with watching the film I imagined it's sort of like a is it is it like a camera on a runner that's sort of timed to move along or do you do that manually it's uh it's it's quite a unique pieces of equipment. Uh, yes, yeah, so you basically set it up um, from the start and you can, you know, you would set it up as you would a picture 
um, which you can, you know, edit the exposure and whatnot uh, later. But uh, yeah, you just you'll start it and it'll it'll run through the process itself, so it does everything automatically, the movement. But the settings themselves, they won't change unless you tell it to essentially. So it can be a careful process, especially if the sun goes behind the clouds. And, um, and in the different shots that you've made in this particular film, in some places you can really see the flow of the movement and it's a very gentle, smooth thing. And in other places, especially with the water, um, it can appear quite staccato. What is it about time-lapse that is so appealing to you and why did you choose that over um, standard film that you've worked on before for this particular project? Um, I think, like I said before, time-lapse just kind of, it shows you what the naked eye can't really see in a lot of situations, so, um, yeah, that kind of staccato effect with the water, something I didn't actually realise before shooting some of the um, shots was that days prior there was like a week's worth of rainfall, so it actually increased the amount of uh, water that had actually flowed through uh, North Brule and and Balaglass. So when I revisited Balaglass uh, a few months later, it was a lot tamer. So yeah, I, I could have probably planned that better, but um, you know, it kind of appeals to me as like landscape photography almost, how you can just get out there and just the freedom of the adventure and seeing what captures your eye mostly. Amazing. Well, I mean, you've done some beautiful work. And Mira, in in composing um, a soundtrack or something, music which expresses for you this landscape, I mean, looking at the harp, you've already got a fair bit going on with that bad boy. Like, I can't imagine sitting down and <laughs> composing something on that. What is your process when you compose? Do you have anything that... You must have to kind of warm up to it, I suppose, because it's hard to wake up of a morning, finish your breakfast and sit down and create something like you have that we're about to see. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your creative process. Um, well, uh, it's, it's funny, actually. I've, I've, me and Sarah have spoke on the phone this morning and you were telling me about your friend who, um, before he does anything creative, he walks up a hill and listens to s some Vivaldi and gets his brain going, really, and it would, it's stuck in my head all day. I think what I like to do before I compose, at least, is um, I really like making collages. So I'll get like an old magazine and cut things out of it and sort of stick stick things together. And like, because as you're cutting and sticking things out, you're reading little snippets of the magazine, and it's giving you um, like ideas and things to to sort of warm your brain up and you know get this sort of. Uh, I don't know, like, what, like, I think when you're in that sort of creative mindset, you sort of have to let yourself go a bit mad <laughs> and, and, like, sort of, like, walk around the house and, like, talk to yourself and, like, God, drink an enormous amount of tea. It's actually really hard work drinking that amount of tea. Um, and so, so, so then you can sort of push the ideas out of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to find a way to make it happen, haven't you? Um, and is composing something that you do without a brief a lot, is that a big part of, um, of being a musician for you, writing these pieces and expressing yourself through this music in, in writing it? Or is it something that you need kind of a brief to kind of push you to try that? Because, I mean, you must spend a lot of time playing the harp, but writing things to play on the harp is completely different, I suppose. 
Um, yeah, for sure. I think um, one of the amazing things about being a musician is that you know you can never really be right or wrong, and like you can never really do something one way. So uh, I think everyone composes in a different way, and um, listening to um, other composers, I, f I find I get a lot of inspiration from. I really like um, Jan Tiersen's work, and um, uh, he's a French composer. He wrote um, some really amazing music um, for a film called Amelie, and if anyone's ever seen it. Um, but uh, he writes kind of music that I listen to, and you know, when you sort of like get like shivers and things. So I think when I compose, I try and give, give myself shivers <laughs> in, in, in like a non weird way. <laughs> <laughs> put yourself in difficult situations where you compose something that you don't actually like playing because I've, I've heard bands talk about how um, three of them in a band of four will compose different tunes and one of them was called um, I think the Fiddler's Peril or something like that where one of them who didn't play the fiddle composed a really tricky fiddle piece just to, just to wind the fiddle player up do you ever find yourself sort of yeah, writing and then go no bother I shouldn't have done that um, I don't, I, I think, um, I did, I, I arranged Tubular Bells, um, by Mike Oldfield for the film festival in September, and I love playing it, it's really, really good, but it's very, like, my, my hands were, like, by the end of it, like, in bits, just because it was <laughs> sort of non-stop all the time like this, and it's, like, really, like, intense on your hands, but it's very, it's, like, fun to play. I suppose, um, when I've, like, composed in the past, sometimes, like, I'll do it, and then I'll be like, "Oh, I don't like it." Always, oh, and then you get all that, you get all like filled with self doubt. I suppose that's 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 the only time I ever really think, "Oh, I don't like what I've done." Like, oh. but that's just I think because I've, I've spoken to like David Kilgallen, you know, he's an amazing composer, amazing musician, and he says he's the same. He always thinks, "Oh, what if it's not good enough?" Or not? I think I think that's normal, but yeah. It's kind, of, uh, it's kind of part of the creative process, I suppose, in a way. The years that you've been shooting the landscape of the Isle of Man, you must have seen quite a lot change. I mean, even one of the, there was one of the shots, I think, in Andy Skillen's film, where um, it was a shot out to sea, and I realised little little wind turbines in the in the background there. You must have you must have seen quite a lot develop and um does it does it make your job feel even more important as a, a sort of record keeper for the Isle of Man? I don't know, it's just uh you do notice changes over time. because um, 'cause I've been, you know, trying to get out as much as I can, especially for night stuff over the years. And you just you, you get a habit of keeping up with the weather and seeing how it changes and um you know, there's obviously a noticeable change. I feel like it's obviously gotten worse every year. Um, and, but for the landscape itself, I can't really speak too much for daytime stuff, but um, obviously, you know, all these new wind time turbines coming in, it's nice to see them coming in. Hopefully they can make a nice change, but... Um, no, yeah, it's just a strange thought to think, you know, you wouldn't have to think that you'd have to shape so much of your work around certain weather conditions and how long that can last. Um, you know, we're pretty fortunate already just to have a summer so far this year, it seems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, well, I think maybe now's a, a good time to play this beautiful film. And the murmurings that I heard when we were watching other films of like little murmurs of recognition or, uh, well, that's not how we baked it, or uh, things like that that were going on around while these films were playing. Uh, if we were in a cinema and you were rustling with a sweet, I'd watch you till you stopped. But this was really comforting and, um, and it was lovely to hear because... That's what this is all about. Thank you, Culture Vannon. Thank you, all of the creatives, for the work that you do and letting me be the curious person I am and ask you all of the awkward, difficult questions about why. Um, because this is our heritage and you're preserving it for us. So thank you. Thank you very much. Let's
And now for something rather different. You may have heard on today's news and on Mandate this morning that Richard Cole played a lovely lunchtime concert as part of the Arts Council Summer Concert Series at the Villa Marina Arcade on our treasured Wurlitzer. I've never actually seen a Wurlitzer up close before, so I had quite a few questions for Richard, which he kindly answered for me. And he also treated me to a little tune on this fabulous Wurlitzer. My name is Richard Cole and I'm from North Kent, South London. I've been coming to the Isle of Man for 52 years now. I love it over here and I come over for a summer holiday. And uh, when I was over a couple of years ago, um, one of the friends of the museum asked me, he said, you play the organ, would you like to do a concert next year? So I did one last year and it must have gone down all right because I've been asked back again this year. Cinema organ was originally invented to accompany silent films. And as you can see on the nameplate here, it's called the word, it's a unit orchestra. And they wanted it to sound like an orchestra under the control of one person, a synthesizer in other words. And so we've got orchestral sounds in it. And one has to learn to play the music orchestrally and handle it in a different way to a church organ. I started not on piano, strangely enough, I started on electronic organ and I was taught to play by a lady by the name of Ina Barger, who was a well-known cinema organist back in the day. And she was organist at the Tower Ballroom at Blackpool during the war when Reginald Dixon got called up in the services. She taught me to play electronic organ and these, if you like, are, are a step up from that. Mm-hmm. And what kind of music do we hear from these kinds of instruments? You can play anything on them. I have to confess I'm not into modern music. I live in the past and I'm not ashamed to, uh, to admit that. And I like to play light orchestral music, popular music of the 20s and 30s and a few more up-to-date things. Mm-hmm. And you told me um, just before you started playing, you settled down to the Wurlitzer and you looked at all the settings and you said, oh, I've, got, I've got a Wurlitzer at home, but it's set up quite differently to this one. Um, can you explain that for me? Each Wurlitzer organ has sets of pipes in it to give the different sounds. And the sets of pipes that are in mine differ from the ones that are in here. So, you know, a small band might have a saxophone and not a clarinet, and another one might have a clarinet and not a saxophone. And that is the case here. My organ's got a saxophone in it, and there isn't one here. And also, because this room is quite different to my music room at home, the acoustics are different. And even if I put the same stops down here that I've got on my organ at home, the effect is different. So when I come here to play, I've got to balance the sounds quite differently in order to get the effects that I want. And what did you choose for the piece that you just kindly played for us? You've got a few, um, a few of those switches flipped down. What, what have you gone for? The piece of music I played was called An Earful of Music. And back in the 30s, that was the signature tune of an organist called Robinson Cleaver. And he opened the organ that I've now got at home in April 1937 in the Ritz Cinema, Barnsley in Yorkshire. And that was his signature tune, An Earful of Music. I did meet Robbie Cleaver many years ago. He's sadly no longer with us, but I've sort of semi-officially adopted his signature tune as mine.
Mm-hmm. And what, what instruments were involved in, um, in the piece that you've just played? What, what could we hear there? Well, shall I demonstrate one or yeah. two of them? Yes, please do. We've got the tibia here, which is the typical sound of a cinema organ, which is just a big flute. But what gives it the typical sound of the cinema organ is to put the vibrato into the sound as orchestral instruments are played with the vibrato. And it turns from this to this. straight away the organ begins to sing and get that orchestral effect. Behind these glass panels here there are I don't know how many pipes in this one just under a thousand but pipes just like a church organ they're just voiced differently to get these orchestral sounds and uh, I know mine at home has got 876 pipes in it. The longest one is about 16 feet long but it's doubled round on itself a bit like a trombone is so that the pipe to get it into a reasonable ceiling height. And the shortest one is about three-eighths of an inch long. You can see I'm old-fashioned, still working in inches. About, about three-quarters of a centimetre, in other words, in, in modern-day measurement. Sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. But next week, I will be live from Lorient. I set sail tomorrow afternoon, and I'm really excited to be setting up the art exhibition of Julia Ashby Smythe. And I'll be regularly touching base with you all through the week. So stay tuned to Manx Radio if you want to find out what's going on in Lorient. And you can also subscribe to our podcast channel, the Lorient Inter-Celtic Festival podcast channel on Manx Radio's website, where you'll find extended interviews with some of the performers, the VIPs, and the visitors to this fantastic festival. So join me then. Have a lovely creative week. Slen you.